But I'll give you an example of what's happening literally right now. Uh, it's a very busy time. The reason you have me and not an actual elected official is because it is the silly season. There is a lot of activity going on in D.C. in Congress right now and uh, in the Michigan legislature right now. Okay, ready? This is it. This is the show. What's with the pineapple? A brand new podcast from the Michigan Restaurant and Lodging Association. Pineapples don't grow in Michigan. No, not native to Michigan. Let me write that down. Putting a, a hospitality spin on what exactly is going on in Lansing. Shed some light on the industry specifically in Michigan. I think we're going to have some good guests. What is with the pineapple? What's with the industry? What's going on in Michigan? We can edit this if that's not right, right? All right, two episodes in one month. It's June. It's hot out. We always talk about the weather, but we're back. We're prepared. And we have a little bit of a different format today. What is that format, Justin, for this episode? How the hell did we fit two episodes in this month? I feel like no one's been in the office. We've been around the country a million different times in June. But here we are, dedicated to the cause. And to our listeners. What's with the pineapple? Yeah, this is a different format. So uh, to that point, last week we had the AHLA here, right? We didn't go to them. They came to us. They had a one-day conference in, in the Detroit market. Great opportunity. Chip Rogers, CEO uh, of AHLA, was was here with us and, and some great presentations, some good knowledge that was industry-specific uh, last week, hosted by your friend and mine, Paul Wiegert, yes. uh, over at St. John's Resort in Plymouth. They do, always do an amazing job. The, the food f- was ridiculous. next level. 100% over the top. And everything they're doing, I mean, there's massive investment into that property. If, uh, if you need to book some space... Obviously, they're known for weddings, but great for professional events as well. Anyways, this is not a plug for St. John's Resort, but they did do a great job hosting this event. Uh, So shout out to Paul Wiegert. And we had some great content. Got on stage with Chip Rogers and and talked about the state of the industry and and frankly, what's going on in in, in Lansing right now that hotel operators need to be aware of. So I I think it's it's a good audio. We we decided it was worth using essentially as as our interview portion. So you'll see that on the back end of right. today's episode. Yep, yep. And the traveling doesn't stop. Next week we're headed to the uh, Council of State Restaurant Associations and International Society of Hotel Associations dual conference in Wisconsin, where all the states from around the nation get the tie-in. Talking all things national this episode. I like that are getting together to talk about best practices, how to provide more value to our members, to industry, trends, all of that. What are you most looking forward to about that conference? Well, I was looking forward to my assumption that Lake Geneva meant we were all going to Switzerland. (laughs) However, Wisconsin is beautiful this time of year as well. It's a solid number two. Solid. No, Wisconsin always number one in my heart. So, no, it's going to be great. I mean, we, we... this is how we all get better. We are we are state associations representing hotels, representing uh, restaurants, and we are not in competition uh, with one another. And so it's a great opportunity to share best practices, find out what's working, uh, that someone's trying in a different state, maybe a message that's working, maybe a public policy or a piece of public policy that is good for the industry. Learn from that and how to do a better job here. You know, we share ideas uh, and we learn from others that are doing things that we aren't. So it's it's a valuable conference. Yeah, I always walk away with some five, six, seven, eight, ten takeaways. So should be a good week next week. And that'll round out June. Nice. Finally. All right. So we I switched up the uh, programming a little bit. I don't know if you noticed that on the outline that I provided you. I can adapt on the fly. We're going to do the GA segment for Fork's sake first, because that feels like a lot has happened there. 
Um, and we should get into the details of that. So starting off with um, yesterday, we received news about the adopt and amend case again. What's happening there? Back again, the issue that will never die. Uh, adopt and amend. We've talked about it probably four times on this podcast. We, we talked about the day will come probably in late June. We'll hear from the Supreme Court. Will they take an appeal? Will they not? I'm genuinely surprised that they are. The ruling out of Court of Appeals, which we talked about uh, late last year, early this year, was so definitive, so thorough, so unanimous that mm-hmm. I just didn't think that there was enough oxygen to accept an appeal. To say, I think you maybe missed something here. We're going to review this, uh, says Michigan Supreme Court. But I was wrong. They are going to review this. It is unclear what the timetable exactly will be, but they will do briefing. Uh, So we will be filing on behalf of this industry uh, an amicus brief sometime in the next few months. We'll find out exactly when that timetable is. Uh, Oral arguments will take place uh, as well. Again, not known when that is, but I would say probably either in the very end of uh, the calendar year here or maybe uh, into 2024 with a ruling that might not even come down for a year from now. So we're talking about mid to late June next year, you could see a ruling from the court on this issue, which would push it six years after this was originally an issue. And I just think the absurdity of trying to enact a piece of policy that has not been enacted for six years and just thrust it into the mix is going to cause such chaos unnecessarily, right? This is at, the, at, at its core an issue about legislative authority, whether it can adopt and demand a ballot proposal. These ballot proposals happen to impact our industry, so we are the ones that are going to be hanging on the line uh, and, and possibly decimated from its outcome. And so that's, that's all hanging in the balance, but but not it's it's a very slow motion car crash, if you will, as Ooh. an analogy. Yeah. So. But we, might not be one at all. Might not be a car crash at all. Listen, it's entirely possible that, that in the Supreme Court validates what the Court of Appeals said. And, 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 and now the highest court in the land in the state of Michigan says that the legislature can do this. Well, then it's definitive. And, and the status quo that is the minimum wage law, that is the paid sick leave law right now will just remain. You will feel no change. But it's possible they don't. And it's also entirely possible that we could just have the legislature engage in this process right now in in some version uh, of a legislative compromise. At the rate that this legislature is churning out uh, labor ideas that are not the best for this industry, um, it's not my... Not the number one thing on the agenda, but we may be having a lot of those discussions in the near future about how to mitigate the disaster for this industry. Because, again, we're like an unnecessary externality to a case that's about uh, legislative authority. So we'll be having a lot of those conversations. And then, you know, tied into this all as well is there's still a ballot proposal hanging out there, right? $15 minimum wage and no tip credit that was attempted to get on the 2022 ballot, did not get the signatures in time. They kept collecting after the deadline and submitted later into 2022 and are now trying to qualify with that language for the 2024 ballot. They have approximately 500,000 signatures submitted. They need 340,000 valid signatures to get them on the ballot. The Bureau of Elections is going through that process right now to see if they have that. Uh, so that is there are mo- multiple things in the mix all around this issue of minimum wage and the tip minimum wage in, in Michigan. So we're aware of all of them. We're on top of all of them. We are, we are cultivating a strategy that, that can best defend this industry from worst case outcomes. And most importantly, right now, today for operators, nothing, nothing changed. No requirements. There's no changes based on this news. Everything stays the way whoops, that you are operating 
48 hours ago. So that that's an important takeaway for real world operations in the moment as well. Yes. We are preparing you for for a potential outcome that that would be different down the road, but that that is not in our immediate immediate future and something we're working towards to again mitigate. Word of the day. Word of the day. All right. So going into what's happening in Lansing, they are still in session. They're still figuring budgets out. What's happening with all of that? When do you think it'll be wrapped up? What do you, what what do you think will get across the finish line by then? Cocktails to go. We've been talking about for a long time. Can you just give us a thirty thousand foot update on what to expect in the next? I don't know week. Yeah, I think the, from Lansing. The goal here is is the legislature is on pace to wrap the budget up. The budget that will take effect October first of this year uh, by the end of next week. A lot, a lot still needs to happen between now and then, but the, the trajectory is positive. The, tra- the trajectory is to get that done before July 1st. July 1st is not the impact, uh, uh, the effective date of the budget, but for a lot of schools, that is when they start their fiscal years, and having that certainty available for schools is important. So they, that, that July 1st date is not a hard deadline, but one that they've really tried to operate with in, in recent years to give greater certainty to, to schools. But the goal is to get everything done. So we're, we're still working on some priorities for the industry uh, in that budget. And uh, we'll probably have a better, more definitive update on where those landed the next time we do a pod. Right. Which will be a month from now. <laughs> right. Okay. Anything more to update on what's happening in Lansing? Or is that sum it up? There's, there's a lot of issues out there right now. We're not going to deep dive into all of them because some of them are brand new getting introduced. Some of them are moving slowly. Post-Labor Day school start, we talked about the last time. That has moved out of committee. Uh, as we understand it, it's going to sit there now on the floor in the House for a while uh, and won't be dealt with until uh, the fall at the earliest. Okay. As you remember, we're still working on a compromise that if we're going to get rid of post-Labor Day school start, uh, there really does seem to be a lot of motivation to do that, frankly, on both sides of the aisle. Can we do something on behalf of the industry so it just does not lose? August uh, in its in entirety, right? Because school districts seem to be moving that start date, creeping a little earlier each cycle. And in August is as good as it gets weather-wise in Michigan. So we want to make sure that those tourism opportunities are available. We want to see a Monday and a Friday exemption. So if you're going to be in school in August, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday for school, keep the long weekends available for, for the industry. What else do we got? Cocktails to go is heading to the governor. So, right, we were worried that it had a sunset on the original bill. Uh, This bill removes that sunset. So cocktails to go will be a permanent piece of policy legislation. Thank you to Senator Mallory McMorrow, uh, sponsor of the bill that's heading uh, quickly to the governor for her signature. And, you know, we'd love to sponsor a special ceremony around that one. That would be that would be a fun one. So we shall see. Uh, and then also alcohol sales at College Stadium seems to be imminent at this point as well. Not across the finish line yet. Uh, we got to a point where I think we improved the bill from where it originally was. Uh, we like the idea that it's going to create more opportunity, more big concerts that can come to a Michigan stadium or a Spartan stadium that aren't happening right now. That's great for the local hospitality scene. Uh, but we don't want unfair competition to too great a degree. You're, you're talking about tax subsidized universities now competing against private government or excuse me, private private entities outside. Um, so we want there to be fair competition for our restaurants and hotels. So more to come. More to come. All right. Thanks for the update. And last but certainly not least, you got back yesterday, last night from Washington, D.C., yet another trip to Washington, D.C. You and Johnny Mack and a, a bunch of Michigan board members were in D.C. for the National Restaurant Association Public Affairs Conference. How'd it go? What'd you do? What's your highlights? 
Yeah, huge turnout. Over 600 registrations. So people from across the country, restaurant operators flooding into D.C. to represent the industry in front of Congress. We had this this year, there's always a, a chair of this event uh, who sits on the national board. This year, it is Jeff Lobdell, our very own Jeff Lobdell uh, from Grand Rapids. So there was a great tribute in front of all, you know, all the attendees on Tuesday uh, for Jeff and all that he has done on behalf of this industry as a leader. Uh, and a spokesman for this industry for a generation. Uh, so that was nice to see. We got to play a role in, in congratulating and celebrating Jeff. So that was much deserved and, and very cool to have such a big audience for him to, to recognize uh, everything that he's done and everything he's meant to not just us, but the industry overall was, was really great. And uh, we had some great meetings uh, across the hill. It was a busy day in D.C. when we were going meeting to meeting. I think first time I've had to have a meeting in a hallway standing oh, wow. up. And that's the kind of level of chaos we had going on around the Capitol yesterday, but good substance, good conversations around the importance of the tip credit. As we've talked on here before, the EWEA, which is sort of a temporary visa, more targeted for the hospitality industry uh, and something that we can get behind and, and, and give a little more consistency than what we get with the H2B visa right now. But we did talk an awful lot about H2B visa while we were there, too. Returning worker exemption is critical. Those who are listening that have any idea what I'm talking right now, you know, you know that that's critical and important to uh, to meet your labor demands. And uh, we had some good positive conversations with with numerous members of the congressional delegation from Michigan and some credit card uh, swipe fee legislation, right? Some, some more comp- instilling some more competition on that side. So merchants, not just restaurants, but restaurants, you know, one of the the highest number of operating merchants in of any industry uh, across the country are feeling huge pinches. We talked about Jeff Lobdell earlier. He talked uh, in these meetings, he's, he's paying $1.2 million in swipe fees. Holy smokes. $1.2 million in swipe fees. To put it into perspective, he offers health care to his employees and his health care bill is around seven dollars to $800,000 for his entire team. And he has a huge team. He's operating 22 restaurants and two hotels. His white fees are dramatically higher. They're 150% of what his actual health care costs are. It's out of whack. And the reason that they have doubled over the last 10 years is there's a duopoly, right? Mm-hmm. Like there just isn't enough competition on the back end uh, of this process. And there needs there, there needs to be more driving costs down uh, for operators. And I, I have a hunch, I have a hunch that the credit card companies and the big banks who are, are leading this will still find a way to get by. Yeah, I think they'll be fine. Fahey Schultz Berzik Rhodes PLC is Michigan's premier attorney for hospitality-related legal services. The depth and breadth of experience within the team enables them to serve as a one-stop resource for clients throughout the hospitality industry. Their diverse client portfolio includes national restaurant chains, regional restaurants, hotels, taverns, entertainment venues, golf courses, liquor stores, as well as breweries, distilleries, and wineries. They have the expertise to assist with corporate formation and structure, engaging new and investors, assisting with local and state licensing matters, all aspects of liquor licensing and violations, real estate matters, including purchase transactions or leases, intellectual property protection, advising on and executing expansion opportunities through franchising or other growth vehicles, purchase and sale agreements, succession planning, and planning and executing exit strategies. Clients also benefit from the experience and insight of lawyers who practice across the full range of legal fields which intersect with the hospitality industry. When day-to-day employment law issues emerge, the experienced labor and employment attorneys are there to counsel and provide strategic advice. When threatened by legal action, 
The litigation attorneys are prepared and ready to defend clients' interests. Their full-service approach makes the firm uniquely positioned to help hospitality clients of any size. To find out more, contact Fahey Schultz Berzik Roads today by visiting www.fsbrlaw.com or calling their office at 517-381-0100. All right, let's move on. That was a lot of that was a lot of GA. It was, but it's important. All right, let's get to the more fun content. No offense. Ouch. I mean, it's most important, but there's some fun stuff on this outline. Hit me with the fun. All right, so for starters, pineapple plaudits. We do have one on the list. Bavarian In Lodge won the 2023 TripAdvisor Choice Award. And what this means is that the award celebrates businesses that have received great traveler reviews from travelers around the globe on TripAdvisor over the last year. So the lodge is the top in the top 10% of hotels worldwide on TripAdvisor. So think about how many properties are on that website. That's a pretty big accomplishment. Shout out Amy Grossi, MRLA board member. And, you know, they're like family up there in Frankenmuth. And listen, I say this, they're, they're this good now. Just imagine when they get that swim up bar. Oh, it all comes back around. Fully up and running. And people are going to be like, this is, this is heaven on earth. I'm in. More awards. <laughs> I wonder if there'll be a grand opening for the swim-up bar. <laughs> we should clearly attend. We should do a podcast from the swim-up bar. What could go wrong? All right, I'm in. Okay, now moving moving on to uh, Pineapple Express. There's a topic on this list that you have been talking about in the office for weeks. Do you want to lead into it? You start. I'll provide commentary. Dang it. Okay. (laughs) So there's a restaurant in California that used a bogus priest to learn of workers' sins and then use those sins against them. I'm loving Joe's facial reaction. Use those sins against them to essentially fire them or reprimand them at work. So a con of all cons. Um, This was in Northern California. This operator is clearly a bad actor in this industry. But yeah, instead of absolving the workers for sins like stealing or cheating on their time cards, the fake priest was reporting the transgressions to management and the U.S. Department of Labor has caught on and big trouble ahead. Wild. I blame California labor policy for this. No, I I, like this story. I read it three times before I, I, I it seemed like an onion. It 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 is clearly a sin against God, him or herself, sure. uh, to throw out the fake priest. But uh, like like the the cojones on someone to think, hey, you know what, guys, you know, it'd be a great idea. I I, feel, I got a bad idea of what's happening around here, but how are we gonna know for sure? Well, we could put in some cameras. Maybe that would be a way to do it. No, right. I got a better one. I've got a better one. It's like my my second cousin over here. He's he's a struggling actor. What if? What if, and stay with me here, we turn, out, we turn him into a fake priest and, and, and tell them to, they can all absolve their sins and no one will ever know. What a great idea. And then we'll nail him on it. Right. <laughs> Foolproof. <laughs> no one will ever catch on. And they did this during working hours, which is just like, it's all insane. Someone tells me insane. there's going to be a follow-up to this story when we find out just how bad it gets for this restaurant later. Yeah, we will keep you posted. Yeah. <laughs> we'll follow this. We support good operators on What's With a Pineapple. No fake priests. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. All right. Circling back. Listen, we spent a lot of time on Taylor Swift in the last episode. And also... But you just, you're thinking to yourself, not enough? <laughs> not to get too personal, but... 
I made a really great graphic for the last episode, and it was appreciated by no one. Oh, I'm sad. In fact, you didn't even retweet it, Justin. I didn't realize that. So came on to my own podcast to get accosted. <laughs> I'm not sure I saw it, but cool. I'm sure it was cool. great. Well, no one else did either. Anyway, so Taylor Swift's Detroit shows led to the best weekend of the year for hotels. Unsurprising, but important to talk about. They brought in nearly 100, or it, the concert brought in nearly 120,000 people, so roughly 60,000 on each night, Friday and Saturday. It's estimated fans spent between $250 and $1,000 just in the city per show on top of their tickets. So food, parking, merch, hotel, going out to a restaurant. It's expected that the state will get $120,000 a night from sales tax collections, and the parking fees might top $600,000 per night from that. So, I mean, unsurprising, hotel occupancy downtown was over eight, just over 80%, and the average daily rate was around $337, so 20% higher than the same weekend a year ago. If you're a general manager, this is what's going to keep you warm on a cold January Wednesday when you're maybe around 30%, 35% occupancy. You're like, remember that Remember that fantastic summer day where we were just raking in that average daily rate? Yeah, it's wild. My brother was there, I found out. He um, went to the show. He went to the show. Let's call him in. Uh, let's <laughs> get him on the line. Joe, get him on the line. Uh, he, he lost his wallet there. Oh, no. And he's got the, uh, what's the Apple tag? on the wallet so he knows oh, it's in tag. Ford Field uh, oh. but no one will no one will help him get it it's just there somewhere and he probably can still track it yeah it's still there he he, he, bring, he brings it up on his phone he's like it's it's clearly there no one at Ford Field will help me get my wallet back no one is even responding to my calls or emails I'm like that's a little rough that is that is rough did he how did he say the concert was you know amazing of course I yeah. had I had some FOMO I was like I should have tried harder to go I, I asked but you literally just graduated college. You you don't have money. You have student debt. <laughs> Where? How did you even remotely make this possible? He got. He was very lucky enough to get one of the at at standard price, like a hundred and oh wow sixty dollars or something like that for a Good ticket. For him. I'm like, why didn't you resell it for yeah, yeah. Know, forty thousand dollars? Pay off your student right. loans. <laughs> um, I actually saw online that she stayed at the Shinola Hotel. Good call. So yeah, shout out member. Yeah, exactly. Okay, next story on the list is the Small Business Administration. The SBA issued new PPP eligibility guidelines. Um, I saw the HLA put an update out on this, I believe, at the end of last week. Yeah, Um, huge one. And shout out to HLA. They have made this a priority for a while. It's a very niche issue, but terrifying that hotels were somehow going to be caught in a unexpected technicality. Right. Uh, between management companies and, and, and ownership as related to who took the PPP loan and, and whether it was going to need to be paid back. And there were some scary, scary times for some operators uh, not known. But why don't you talk a little bit about the clarity? Yeah. So the update clarifies that hotel owners who utilize third party management companies and participated in PPP are eligible for loan forgiveness for payroll expenses that they paid via the management company. It's very nuanced how hotel structure exists. So the- As we know all too well. It, we talk about tip credit, right? Taking down a full service restaurant. This would have absolutely destroyed several several hotels who were on the brink to have to, to not get forgiveness after getting 4% occupancy, 5% occupancy in 2020 and trying to find ways to keep their doors open. Paying back the full capacity of these loans would have actually put them under. Yeah, absolutely. So 
big win. Um, and like you said, shout out to AHLA. This really is a national podcast coverage episode. Great band, great episode title. <laughs> Speaking of uh, national, there's a little company called McDonald's who is celebrating Grimace's birthday this month. Do, do we have time for two ridiculous stories in the same podcast? Do we? We're celebrating Grimace's birthday. I don't even know what Grimace is. What is Grimace? No one knows. No one knows what kind of animal. Is that the right terminology? Figure what, what, he, what the purple blob is. Literally in this article, it's like no one knows. But they're celebrating um, his 50th birthday in a new marketing campaign. So, What, what flavor is the Grimace shake? So actually... My boyfriend did some testing on this specifically for this episode. It's like blueberry. Blueberry. Got yeah. it. <laughs> so purple, I guess, you know, really revolutionary stuff. Um, yeah. So you can get a 10 piece chicken McNugget or Big Mac and fries and a limited edition shake. Um, they also launched a website with video games and they are once again selling merch so do you remember when we talked about this a year ago with the summer camp and everyone was mad because there was like a grimace pool floaty that they couldn't get or something didn't we have an episode title called hot grimace summer you know what i think we did i don't think that one that one got left on the editing room floor which was the right decision let me ask you this (laughs) you you love yum brands ridiculous marketing campaigns I just respect the marketing campaigns. Well, I think they're creative. How do you think this compares? Do you think this is superior? You think maybe it's not quite to that level? Where's where this? And this is your world. And yeah, it's it's up there. I would say it, so. Looking at the data, same store sales have risen twelve point six percent in the first quarter for McDonald's because of their tap into nostalgia. Nostalgia. So it works. It's probably a little bit more creative than the the Taco Bell ones because Taco Bell's just capitalizing on you know celebrities and that sort of thing or like when Wendy's did the Chance the Rapper thing when Chance the Rapper was like I want spicy nuggets back on Twitter and they were like if this tweet gets a million retweets then we'll bring them back and then they did you follow none of this it's fine I, listen I endless respect for the operational efficiency of McDonald's right that's how they became king the founder's a great movie all. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> true story. I, I don't understand any of these characters. Like, none of them have ever made sense to me. Ronald McDonald freaks me out. It's creepy. I, but he is a beloved character. There's a Ronald McDonald house that's clearly doing a lot of great work in communities across America. I just, I, whoever created these characters, why? Yeah, I can look into the history of that. Next episode, like, two hour expose on the Hamburglar. <laughs> I'm here for it. If you. If you, what's a promotion that you would want to see ran again? Like tapping into the nostalgia that seems to be a, a theme in marketing right now. Is there something from your youth that would pull that back? <laughs> what was the, very few things come to mind where I was excited about them. I just remember in high school there was a, a shack thing at Taco Bell. What was it? Where Shaq was a genie? Oh, because he played the genie in a movie. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a whole thing at Taco Bell. And so I'm not nostalgic for it, but it's the thing that came to mind first because we always thought it was ridiculous. <laughs> so if that if they if they redid that now, you'd go to Taco Bell? Maybe. Okay. It's been a while. I'll pitch it to him. <laughs> Pete Davidson maybe might convince me to go get some Taco Bell breakfast. I'm sorry, Peter Davidson. Is that what he goes by he, now? He's very buttoned down before noon. Uh, he also has a partnership with Smartwater where he's getting all his tattoos removed. <laughs> okay. So... 
He's on a roll. Really All right. I think Burger King, you know, tough subject right now because they're not doing great. But the, I was looking through some old pictures because it's my dad's birthday. So I was looking through old pictures. And there's one from 1992 with one of my siblings has the crown on. And then there's a, I found another picture of me as a senior in high school. So in 2010 with a crown on. So yeah, I knew that was, yeah, Justin said, oh, 2010. I knew that was coming. But tapping into the crown thing, I mean, that was a a mainstay for a while. I'll work on it. I like it. It's something. (laughs) Let's move on. (laughs) Um, Yeah, let's move into uh, your fireside chat. Again, just as a reminder to listeners, this is a recording from the AHLA On The Road conference that came to Detroit last week. Justin and Chip Rogers having a conversation on stage. Enjoy. Low to join us. Justin is the president and CEO of the Michigan Restaurant and Lodging Association. He is, though he looks very young, has been with MRLA for 12 years. Uh, a graduate of Michigan State University with a bachelor's degree in political theory and constitutional democracy. I didn't even know they offered that. Uh, he has an MPA from Michigan State in public uh, administrator of political communications. Justin, thanks for being with us. Thank you. That, that was fine. <laughs> All right, so we get the opportunity um, on my team to work with folks uh, like Justin, leaders like Justin, in state legislatures all across the, or in state uh, states all across the country, that fight on behalf of the hotel industry. And um, interestingly enough, you know, and you're going to hear me talk a lot about the things that are happening in Washington D.C. In, in just a few minutes. Uh, but every state is completely different. You would think that, uh, that they would all be facing the same issues. And there are some common themes. There's no question about it. And we'll show that in a little while. Um, but, but states have their own special flavor. Uh, and Michigan is, uh, is one of those states that's had some challenges in the past, uh, some, certainly some political change recently. And that certainly dictates how Justin and his team work on behalf of, of our industry and the restaurant industry to make sure you're protecting and promoting what we do. So uh, first of all, how has 2023 been for you? <laughs> uh, it's It's been a change. Let's get into that in a second. But before, we got to take some time and welcome Chip to Michigan because for those who in this audience who don't actually know, Chip's on the road nonstop. And we are uh, fortunate and appreciate you spending some time in the Great Lakes State. I'm, I won't call it the Wolverine State. Go, go green. Uh, <laughs> But uh, we appreciate uh, the partnership we've had, frankly, uh, since we became a lodging association as well. Uh, and, and it shows because you are every, literally everywhere. Uh, it's supporting the industry, uh, not just from D.C., but in every hotel you're staying <laughs> around the country. So we appreciate that. To the question, yeah, 2023 has been a dramatic change. For those who don't know or aren't from Michigan, uh, Michigan is a fairly purple state. Uh, we, we often elect Democratic U.S. Senators and have for a long time, uh, but where you can draw lines within the state of Michigan, we, we ping pong a little bit back and forth. The governor has a real history of going literally eight years Republican, eight years Democrat, and it pings back and forth consistently for a long time going back from where we are right now. So it's a bit of a surprise for the first time in 40 years, Michigan finds itself in total Democratic control. Uh, the Michigan Senate had been 
uh, Republican literally since 1983 uh, and through a narrow majority has a 2018 edge in the Michigan Senate. So that's the first time uh, in basically my entire lifetime that uh, you have the Senate Democratic control and in the House of Representatives, which is a little more back and forth, has still been Republican since the 2010 election until uh, last year's election. So it's been uh, a lot for everyone to get used to. We told all of our members it's going to take some time. A lot of these people haven't been in control, uh, and it's going to, governance is challenging. It's going to take some time. We were wrong. We were terribly wrong. There's been a lot of activity real fast. And to your point, organized labor is having a real moment right now. I think they believe that this is their opportunity uh, where they have seen the tide go against them for a long time to claw back some of those losses that they've had. And so they've been particularly active in a lot of different ways uh, in Michigan. I think we might get into some of that. But you can feel it right now as this sort of like the real birthplace of UAW and a lot of organized labor in this country, that they feel it's their responsibility to demonstrate that organized labor is back in a very real way here in Michigan. And hopefully that projects out from their perspective throughout the Great Lakes region. How are businesses dealing with that? Because I know, you know, some of your surrounding states, uh, I can remember going back to the days of Indiana and Mitch Daniels becoming governor there and uh, them becoming a right to work state and then saying, hey, come on down, all you businesses from Michigan. And a lot did. A lot, a lot, a lot flooded did. that in. I mean, if you go to Indiana today, I mean, they, they are booming. So how are local businesses dealing with this pendulum swing back to, to as you said, perhaps an, uh, an influence or an oversized influence of organized labor compared to where they were just four years ago? Well, I mean, good Lord, during COVID, it was amazing to watch essentially not just diners move their way from Michigan, uh, which had the longest statewide closure uh, in the country uh, to Indiana, but a lot of our workers. And while we were down 20, 25, even 30 percent of our workforce in this state, hospitality overall, you were seeing Indiana literally up plus one, plus two percent in the middle of COVID. So you could see dramatically the differences. And that's that is a that is made the challenge of coming back that much harder, made re retaining workers and building back this industry, which we'll talk about a little bit later, harder as well. Uh, but I'll give you an example of what's happening literally right now. Uh, it's a very busy time. The reason you have me and not an actual elected official is because it is the silly season. There is a lot of activity going on in D.C. in Congress right now and uh, in the Michigan legislature right now. So this week there is a bill up to uh, remove the local preemption laws that passed that we were part of getting passed back in 2015. That, that prevents separate minimum wage laws, separate uh, benefit laws from happening in city uh, cities across the state uh, of Michigan. The effort to repeal that is in conjunction with, in the city of Detroit in 2021, they passed an ordinance that allows industry-specific standards boards to be created. So. Uh, I, I know a lot of people in the industry have heard of what's going on in California with the FAST Act, and that may be specifically about fast food, but it is the concept of an unelected wage board taking over uh, and making decisions for an entire industry. And these are appointments, often by non-elected officials, usually filled by non-elected officials, uh, in ways that can be detrimental to this industry. So you're seeing that take place right now. In the city of Detroit, they are working on, right now, just convention-specific uh, uh, wage, uh, excuse me, standards boards, uh, and, and, and th that discussion is happening right now that will set wages, set some of the benefits and some of the standards expected for those who work in Little Caesars Arena or Ford Field uh, or Comerica Park. Uh, and I'm not seeing a whole lot of pushback, frankly, so far, and it's concerning 
uh, because it easily sets the stage for hotels and for restaurants to be the next up as industry-specific boards in the city of Detroit that you will have no control over being able to set the standards for how your workforce uh, will will exist in, in your hotels uh, and for those who operate with restaurants with your restaurants. Uh, and it's terrifying, and that's being done in, conjun in conjunction because right now I think it's a lawsuit waiting to happen with this with our existing local preemption law but there's an attempt to eliminate that rather quickly. We're going to see that up in committee on Thursday. And so that's that's a pretty acute day of example of what's happening, I think. And when I say labor's having movement, what I see is an organized effort by by a, a few of these entities for our industry, SEIU and Unite Here being being those at the at the helm. Well, explain to me the um, the logic behind it. Because I I I, I used to be a law anchor and I, I like to think that if you're going to present me with an idea, it's got to be logical or I'm not going to accept it. I mean, that was just a, a basic premise of how you would behave. But Michigan became the first state in 60 years to go from right to work back to a non-right to work state. And yet we've seen over the last three decades is the states who move to right to work actually have more jobs, stronger economy, higher wages, better, better work environment, and a better quality of life for the most part. And so what is the logic behind saying, well, if everyone moved in this direction and everything got better, we actually want to go the other direction? Like, I don't understand that. Yeah, I was hoping you were going to explain it to me. No, <laughs> if uh, so, right to work, I mean, we just skipped right over right to work. It, it that happened a month and a half ago, and it feels like it was three years ago at the pace that some of these ideas are moving through the legislature right now. So. Right to work is essentially right the freedom to choose if if you want to be in a union if the if your place of employment has uh, is collectively bargaining and has an organized shop behind it. Uh, Michigan proudly passed that leg that legislation to become a right to work state in 2012. Uh, it was the number one. We talked about labor having a moment again. This is the number one priority, the number one expectation that was demanded uh, by organized labor uh, when the Democrats took control of both chambers of of. The House. We thought this was going to, frankly, take a little bit longer, and it would be on the back end of this two-year cycle. Uh, they came out uh, guns blazing with this right out of the gate. Uh, and to your point, I, I think it is a bad signal for those who want to invest where they're going to invest their dollars, why you would come to a state that has repealed right to work and gives you an, a, a less clear sense of what the future environment is going to look like as an operator when you could go to other states that that are growing. And you know, we'll talk about this a little bit later too, but Michigan is has a crisis at the moment demographically as we are much older than other states and we are, are losing population. I think we are 49th of 50 states in terms of population growth. In other words, we have net negative, we have lost population over the last three years uh, and only West Virginia is is growing at a slower clip than, than we are. Uh, and it's a real crisis that, that, that they're finally trying to grapple with in Michigan. And uh, these type of policies, are not a way that we're going to move into a position where investment is going to bring people here. Yeah, it's interesting because you talked about the um, local exemption law that exists in Michigan. Uh, it, it's somewhat limited, but it's still very helpful. Um, just in the last two years, uh, through some of the activity and the engagement that we've had, we've been able to pass local exemption laws that are actually very strong. You cannot w regulate any workplace output, which is which is some of the things we're seeing happen in California. And those have been passed in Georgia, in Texas, and in Tennessee, which would seem to create a stronger work environment, again, that creates more jobs, creates more wealth, creates more people moving to your state. Um, we'll see how, how it plays out. I just, 
again, I'm looking for the logic and, and going back the other direction. But in, in our defense, <laughs> some of the things that have been created since we <laughs> didn't exist, frankly, uh, SEIU has been very creative of coming up with new ideas uh, since 2015 <laughs> when we passed this. But you're right. Uh, it is fairly comprehensive, but could be, could be larger and now is at risk of being repealed altogether. So hotels, uh, important parts of every single community, including virtually every community right here in Michigan. Uh, in 2022, Michigan hotels generated $1.35 billion in state and local taxes, uh, $467 million in lodging taxes. Um, how do you properly communicate to local lawmakers about how the industry is positively impacting their local community? Yeah, we just, well, we just had uh, a couple weeks ago our, our big capital day. We had over 200 people. Uh, Sharon uh, on your team was uh, was here with us that day. Uh, and having she's some, here with us today. Thank <laughs> Sharon loves Michigan. It's, we, we welcome you any day of the week, Sharon. Uh, we had over 200 people out and communicating operators uh, from across the state, hotel and restaurant, frankly, but but communicating hospitality in Michigan and its and its massive impact to the economy overall uh, and to the workforce. Right, more than one in ten workers anywhere in Michigan are in this industry, even after the decimation uh, of COVID. And and that point rings clear, but it's in a difficult environment right now. But the backdrop of that is is that uh, you're still down about 14% in just hotel workers from 2019. How do you create an environment to get those workers back into hotels? Yeah, I, we're having positive. There, are, there have been some positive conversations with the legislature that exist, but we're trying to take some matters into our own hands uh, as well. Coming out of COVID, we asked our members, hotel and restaurant alike, what is the number one thing we can be doing for you outside of advocacy and, and, and workforce, which should be no of no surprise to anyone, was it. How do we recruit? How do we retain? How do we quickly upskill the people that we have had to move into positions they aren't ready for in this industry? And so we created our own institute. The Hospitality Training Institute of Michigan is a licensed proprietary school uh, where we do 12-week specific training uh, that quickly can upskill your managers, those people that have been elevated because you needed to move someone in there with a pulse uh, to a position of management but didn't have the skill set yet to get there. How do you quickly get them the skills they need? Uh, and we are, we are pairing that with uh, an advocacy ask still have a lot of ARPA dollars that haven't been spent in Michigan yet uh, to try to quickly skill. So you'll hear a lot more from, from us on that soon, but that's our attempt to quickly get some of the kind of industry-specific training that this industry needs to claw back some of those people that have been lost. So as the people in this room think about ways that they can help your cause, and your cause is to, frankly, to, again, protect and promote both the restaurant and hotel industry here in Michigan, what's the best way for people to get involved? Well, let's join the association. I mean, I mean, I don't know if that's an easy softball plug, but you know, we I, there's an easy free rider argument. Well, you you're here, AHLA is here. You, you're going to do it for us, anyways. Uh, we need not just obviously the 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 revenue that lets us have the resources to be effective on your behalf. But we need you inside the tent to be advocating and pushing with us and making that message heard to all of those elected officials. You know, in Michigan too. Maybe we didn't really cover this. Term limits are churning these these legislators over so quickly that every time you really get it through to people's head, the impact of this industry and how they can help them and what decisions that they think are helping that are hurting them, they're gone. 
And, and so the more people we have in individual communities spread out across this uh, state and across the country on behalf of HLA that can communicate that and make it clear, that's what connects, right? Like Chip and I do this all the time, every day, but we're not constituents of, of, of almost all of these people. And when you are connecting with, uh, with someone in your own community and district and it connects at that community level and they understand, they see it where they live, it changes things quickly and, and, and just don't believe that either you're a general manager and so I don't have an impact or I am one location and I can't have an impact. It really is remarkable how when we are effective is because we have a level of grassroots support in individual communities where maybe that individual legislator is the difference between yes or no and that, and that conversation, however informal, changes the outcome on behalf of this industry and so uh, getting engaged at that level is, is important and, and, and I hope you'll do. Yeah, you, we, we talked a couple of times now about the local preemption bill. Uh, there was one in Arizona this year that failed by a single vote. So one single lawmaker kept it from becoming law. Um, actually, that happened last year before the election. Um, but I also think it's really important for people to understand that it's both the message and the messenger. And so people look at us sometimes and like, well, you guys know the message so well, so I don't know it, so why don't you just go and deliver the message? But the lawmakers most of the time are actually more concerned with the messenger, uh, which is somebody from, an, especially an employer in their district that can influence others. So they really, really want that, the right messenger. And when we can combine the right message with the right messenger, that's when we're highly effective. 100%. 100%. So what is the, uh, what's the future of Michigan Hold? So we've, we've probably touched on a number of things here that uh, are going to make people seem a little down <laughs> uh, about the, uh, not the Wolverine state, the Sparty state. Um, give us some good news. As you, as you leave, give us a little bit of optimism. We've had a lot of positive conversations, right? I mean, I think the industry, I think hope springs eternal in this industry, first and foremost, right? Like the idea of hospitality is, is you, it cannot be kept down. It, it can be regulated and, and, and trampled on and, and challenged in those ways. But hope always does spring eternal, which makes it easier for us to advocate on behalf. But we've had some we've had some wins, even in a challenging environment to start this year. Uh, we were able to help pass an earned income tax credit earlier this year, increasing that. That actually is an incentive for for workers who may be sitting on the sideline, lower income workers, to come back into the workforce uh, and, and and incentivize them, frankly, to be working at any one of your hotels. Uh, instead of not working at all, and 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 that's a big number in Michigan. Frankly, it was frankly pretty small before, um, and I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity around the education workforce. This le this legislature does believe in what we are trying to build on restoring a workforce and providing certification and training needs that it needs for the future. So. Uh, stay tuned. We are in the middle of budget discussions right now that seem like they're going on forever. But we're going to know in the next couple of weeks whether some of these things we've been working towards for, for several months are, are going to bear fruit or not. And then that will bear fruit for the industry in Michigan for a generation. L last thing, Michigan is somewhat unique. There's a few states that legislate all year long. Uh, all the research has shown that's not a good idea. Uh, but it makes your, job, <laughs> makes your job really tough, but also gives you the opportunity to go lobby at pretty much any time during the year, right? It's a 12 months legislature. Yeah, we're in session. The, the legislature is in Lansing in session over 100 days every year. Do they need to be? No. I mean, honestly, if Texas 
can operate with a legislature that operates for a few months every other year. I'm pretty sure Michigan can get by with a fewer than 100 days each year because they're just coming up with some ridiculously terrible ideas and you're seeing some of these start moving. So, yeah, I I didn't used to think it when I was a legislative staffer. Now that I'm on the other side, the idea of a part-time legislature seems increasingly like a fantastic idea. But there's no real move to that, is there? Uh, no, we changed some of the term limits law last time around that actually gives people the opportunity to stay a little longer in one chamber. Part of the problem we've had in Michigan is a very tight uh, term limit law, but also pushes you out of one chamber after like six years. So people running for Speaker of the House in Michigan after being in, in, in office for six months or a year, knowing that they could be Speaker for four years at most, and that lack of continuity of leadership in the House has led to some bad leadership and some poor decision making. And I think, I am hopeful anyways, that the idea that someone could stay 12 years in the House uh, uh, or the entire time in the Senate gives a little more stability to what's been somewhat of an unstable, unstable situation. Justin Winslow, thank you for all you do, and thanks for being with us today. Thanks for the opportunity.